0: So, Lord, we come to you desperate to know your voice, desperate for your ministry, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would put us on the potter's wheel today. Mold us, shape us. Lord, be pleased with what you see in us. Lord, bring your refining fire. Lord, melt away anything that brings displeasure to your heart. We need you. Oh, God, we need you in our families. We need you in our community. Lord, we pray that you would release a hunger and thirst for righteousness in our midst, God. Start with us. Lord, cause us to taste and see your goodness today as we look at your word. It's in the beautiful, powerful, majestic, wonderful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Today we'll close Acts 1 and we'll step into kind of an interesting part of the narrative as we're the, the narrative's obviously working towards the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. Remember last week we were we looked at the disciples leaving the Mount of Olives after the ascension of Jesus, crossing the Kidron Valley, and headed to the upper room to pray, and we talked last week specifically about the prayer life of those saints as they waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well this morning we'll read as these disciples in the upper room they approach uh, an official matter of church business if you will. We find them in a for lack of better words in a church meeting discussing transitions and organization. This morning Peter will stand in the Acts narrative and he will communicate to the to the crowd the 120 that Judas's position must be replaced. Now in the scriptures in in the gospel narratives and, and in Acts, Judas and Peter are kind of show themselves as to the antithesis of one another. Um, Judas obviously betrays Jesus, um, but Peter also denies Jesus. And and Judas, not knowing the heart of God, uh, do you remember this is a really interesting part of the story where Judas comes before um, the high priest, before the Jewish council, and he throws the silver back, and he he tries to stop what he's done, um, but, but, he, but he didn't repent. He kind of tried to cover his actions and hide things, um, and the scripture tells us that, um, that Judas uh, goes on to hang himself to commit suicide. Peter denies Jesus as well. Remember after his great um, kind of confession that he wouldn't deny Jesus, but he'd, he'd be willing to die for Jesus today. I'll die for you. The scripture tells us that he denies Jesus three times, um, but Peter, we see in Peter a heart that really knows Christ. Because at some point in your life, you're going to find that you've betrayed and dishonored Jesus. You are not perfect. Some of you think that you're perfect. I just want to go ahead and let you know today, okay? You are not perfect. Look at your spouse; they're nodding yes. You are. You are not. You. You will. You will deny and dishonor Christ at some point in your life. You're not perfect you need to have a knowledge of Jesus that understands his mercy, that understands his grace, that clings to relationship with him and understands repentance. That when we repent and when we turn, Jesus receives us with open arms. Peter knew enough of Christ that when he repented, that when, when, when he came to a place of humiliation over his sin, he, he was reinstated. He was restored to his position. And so what we have is um, Judas has left his position vacant, but Peter still stands. He stands restored, renewed. And Peter will forever be a testimony to the church of what it looks like to really repent. That God doesn't throw him away. That God doesn't abandon him. But Jesus comes to him three times. He asks him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my, my flock. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter comes to Jesus. Comes to Jesus. Jesus comes to Peter and reinstates him back to his proper place. And so when we hear Peter on the day of Pentecost, preaching with boldness, you've denied Jesus. You've rejected Jesus. Repent and turn. You know the narrative you, th- you should think, my God, how is Peter now preaching with such conviction? You've denied. No, Peter, you denied Jesus. But when God puts his hand on a man, And when a man really knows the mercy of God, and God restores the fallen sinner back to his position, Peter, what 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 the enemy intended to use for evil, God now makes in Peter's life a testimony and a great declaration that if you will turn and if you will repent, God will have mercy on you. Peter's fallenness now becomes a great proclamation of the goodness of God. But the distinction, the difference between Judas and Peter's relationship with Jesus himself, Did Judas really know him? And do you really know him? Because if you don't, the first time you fall, you'll crumble. You'll have to know his grace and his mercy. You'll have to spend time with him, know his voice. Peter becomes a beacon of hope for those who stumble and fall. Judas is a testament of destruction and despair. Now, Peter, as the... The disciples are waiting in prayer in the upper room. The scripture tells us there's 120 gathered in Jerusalem, waiting because Jesus told them to wait. Peter will now rise back to his place of prominence and begin to lead, if you will, this church business meeting to discuss who will replace Judas. We see the restored one, Peter, calling the, the congregation together and saying, look, we must, res- we must replace the fallen one, Judas. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us. He was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a kadama, that is the field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven apostles. If you'd allow me to be a little extra Southern Baptist this morning, <laughs> I'd like to talk about the three characters in the narrative, and we'll just kind of take Judas, consider Judas's posture and position. We'll consider Peter, and then we'll consider Matthias, and that'll give us a nice little organization, um, a real Baptist-like organization to help us look at this, look at the text. First, Judas. Peter said Judas had a position in this ministry. He shared among the apostles. Judas was one of the twelve. Judas witnessed miracles. He witnessed the kindness of Jesus. He held a measure of prestige and influence. But John tells us in his gospel that Judas had a problem with always sticking his hand in the money bag. Had a problem with greed. Judas is self-serving. I think he's into the whole ministry thing because it creates a nice platform. Judas desires to be revered and to excel above the rest. And slowly Satan tempts Judas towards his own demise. And Judas falls terribly. He betrays Jesus for a bag of silver. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That's the confession of all who have really known God. The law of your mouth, the words of your mouth, God are better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Jesus taught, lay up your treasures in heaven, where thieves don't break it in and steal and moth and rust can't destroy. Jesus taught you can't serve God and love money, Judas. The Jews, we know this from the narrative from Scripture too, the Jews also envisioned the Messiah coming to establish a political kingdom, a political reign. And so the Jews certainly thought that Judas thought that Jesus as Messiah was about to establish his kingdom. And Jesus picked 12 disciples. That's really clear. Those 12 disciples were supposed to reflect the 12 um, the fathers of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the, the apostles reflect um, the sons of Jacob, the twelve fathers. Of the, and so certainly Judas thought that what Jesus is about to do, Jesus is about to overthrow Rome. Jesus is about to establish himself as a political figure. And I'm one of the 12. I'm going to be one of the heads of the new Israel. I'll have political prestige. I'll have a throne to sit on. And I'll have people to lead. And I'll be able to govern and rule. And I'll have influence because I'm one of the 12. Now Jesus starts to talk about dying. Jesus begins to prophesy his own death. That he must become a sacrifice for the people. He must be the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Jesus must go to the cross and suffer. That doesn't fit Judas' agenda. If Jesus dies, when will Judas rise? Did he become embittered? Oh, you say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Maybe it's the love of money, the root of all kinds of evil that Judas fell to. Maybe it was ego and a desire to be exalted that, that Judas fell to, becoming bitter because what he really wanted was the crowds to applaud him. And now his past prestige is clearly broken and he's bitter. Jesus, I gave up my life and followed you for years because I thought that what you were going to give me was prominence. Why do you follow Jesus? Consider that question. Because your grandparents follow Jesus because it's a normal social thing to do in our culture. Maybe you follow Jesus because there's relationships to be had. Maybe you come to church and you can meet people. Maybe you come to church because you want to see this young, handsome man behind the podium. My God, you get to look at me. Make sure, congregation, make sure, church, that the eyes of your heart have really seen him and known him. When Jesus says, Abide in me, abide in me. You're the branch and I'm the vine. Abide in me. Draw all your sustenance and all your resources. He's saying, Drink from me. Drink of Christ. Know him. Do you know what it means to abide in Christ? It's more than cultural Christianity. And we love to say that God's about relationship. He's not about religion. Well, God is about relationship. Be sure that you have relationship with Him. Most of the time when we say God's about relationship, not religion, what we mean is we can live however we want to because God doesn't care about our holiness. No, He does care about our holiness. But He is about relationship. But you can't make that statement unless you really live a life of prayer and worship. If he's about relationship, do you bow your face into the carpet and say, God, I want to know you. Do you really drink from the vine? It must be Jesus Himself to know His glory, to live in His kindness. You can't follow Jesus because you have an agenda and you think Jesus is going to fulfill your agenda. You must follow Jesus because your eyes have beheld the beauty and the wonder and glory of who He is. Otherwise, you will be destroyed. You have an enemy who roams like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour, the Scripture says. Satan lurks, waiting to destroy all those living for their own agenda, living for their own pleasure. Church, put on the full armor of God. Be vigilant, be aware, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. So Judas fails. He's embarrassed. He doesn't repent, but he commits suicide. He's so overcome by his sorrow and humiliation that he goes to kill himself in utter despair, the scripture tells us that he buys a field and he hangs himself. Now, Luke is a physician. And if you'll notice when we read the part about his his bowels being gushed out, it's in parentheses because Luke inserted information. Luke, the physician, inserts some really grotesque information to the scripture. Many scholars believe that what probably happened because if you look at it just at the surface you 'll say these two narratives don 't match up because the Gospels tell us that he hung himself, but Luke tells us that that his his gut spilled from him um, most, most believe that something like this probably happened. Judas hangs himself from a tree hanging in the sun, his body becomes bloated There, there are things that happen when your body Obviously passes and begins to hang in the sun. His body becomes bloated. And and Judas's body falls from the tree. Whether someone eventually cut him down, whether the branch fell, Judas' body fell. And what Luke tells us is when his body hit the ground, his organs spilled out. Now you should say, thank you, Luke, for that piece of information. That's really what we wanted to know. First, Judas destroyed himself. His sin brought destruction upon his own being. Sin is out to destroy you. It is. And many will say, and it's true, that every time God says thou shalt not, he's saying I love you. Don't steal. I love you. Don't commit adultery. I love you. The, The wages of sin is death. Sin is out to destroy you. Judas destroyed himself with his sin. Second, Judas betrayed Jesus. I don't know of a more awful consequence than that. Your sin dishonors the glory and the beauty of Jesus. He's asked us to be holy as He is holy. If you say, I encounter and I know Jesus, and you don't have a real longing for holiness, I say, no, you've never encountered Him. Every encounter with the presence of God should leave you with a new fresh desire to live holy, to live before Him. Not because you want to be better than anyone else or because you want to perform to earn anything. We live holy just out of adoration, just out of worship, out of just wanting to bless Him. It's not about trying to earn something something. I couldn't earn heaven with all of my best efforts. I deserve hell. The only way I get to heaven is by the shed blood of Christ. But my life, the way that I live, is either worship or it's not. Okay, deal with that. Worship's more than songs and melodies. Worship is a life lived only for the glory of God. And so Judas first destroyed himself, and then he betrayed Jesus. But the point of this narrative is that there is another impact of sin. I need you to know. Judas destroyed himself. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Judas abandoned his post. Men in the room, grandfathers, fathers, you have a post to fill. And sin's not just out to destroy you, it's out to destroy your children and your grandchildren. And God has called you to leave godly legacies and inheritance. And God has called us to be men who leave grandchildren and great-grandchildren who live to serve and love Jesus. But you live bound to your pornography, you will abandon your post. Women in the room, you're called to bless and serve your children. You're called to lead with grace and humility and kindness. You're called to reflect the grace of Jesus himself. You live a life of gossip? You live a life cutting and biting and devouring? You abandon your post. And your children will never hear the gospel from your lips if all they ever hear is the gossip from your lips. They can't hear the good news if all they ever hear is you bicker. You hear me today. You have a post to fill. There are generations to come after you. And it's godly, it's absolutely godly to think forward as we lead this church. I don't just think about today. I'm not trying to create a millennial church for millennials. I know some like to project that it's not true. When I pray for this church and I think about this church, ask any elder or any person on staff. What I pray is God, a hundred years from now, when we're dead and gone, I pray there are spirit-filled people with their heels dug in, preaching the gospel of Christ with clarity. We have to think forward. And you live self consumed. You live to fulfill your own desires. You live because you want prestige and platform. And the enemy will chew you up and spit you out. And what you did was leave a hole. Judas left a hole to be filled. There was ministry that Judas was called to. You hear me? Listen to me, by God. You have a calling on your life. There's purpose on your life. There are people in this community who do not know Jesus. And God has placed you here and now with the gospel in your belly to share the good news of what He's done for you. And you live selfish and you live consumed. and it'll destroy you. It'll dishonor Jesus. And by God, you'll you'll miss what you're called to. Judas left his post empty. When Satan tangles you up in sin, he doesn't just take you out, he leaves your post vacant. When a father falls to sin, has an affair, and there's divorce, he's not just taken out of his marriage, he leaves a post vacant for his children. Get serious about covenant, church. Be warned. You lose yourself. You'll dishonor your king and you'll miss your call. Be warned. Your life's not about you. Be warned! You've got to live with bigger vision. You've got to have eternity stamped on your heart. So Peter rises in the gathering of the saints and says, "We must fill Judas's post." Next, Peter. Now, Luke makes a point to tell us that there are 120 present in the upper room. Scholars throw this idea around. It's an interesting thought. Maybe I thought maybe it would be helpful for to you. But in, 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 in first century Jewish culture, when 120 heads of a family gathered together, when you had a meeting of 120 people, it was officially a Sanhedrin. Not the Sanhedrin like you see the 70 Jewish leaders, um, who's called the Sanhedrin in the New Testament. There were, there were lesser Sanhedrins. So in a community, in a city, if 120 showed up to a meeting, it was an official meeting. It was an official gathering and many scholars think that 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 luke dropped that piece of information because he wanted you to know that this was an official gathering an official meeting to be had now we know that there were more believers in jerusalem at this time first corinthians 15 tells us that jesus appeared to more than 500 people and paul's telling the first he's telling the corinthians he's saying 500 people jesus appeared to at one time you want to hear about his resurrection go find one of them there are still living witnesses to jesus's resurrection but Luke wants us to know that there were 120, an official meeting. Now, the apostles clearly reside over the meeting in their place of authority. Peter seems to be the clear spokesman for them because he's the loudest. See, that was a joke. It fell, it fell on deaf ears. Peter gathers the attention of the congregation, and he begins to draw their attention to the whole in the apostolic circle. In prayer, remember they gathered in prayer. They're gathered in a prayer meeting. Peter seems to come to the conclusion that the apostolic team must be completed as they pray. So Peter's led in prayer. And then Peter begins to draw on scriptures, begins to draw on messianic prophecies from the Psalms. He looks to Psalms 69 where David speaks of being hated without a cause. And he says that when Judas betrayed Jesus, this is a fulfillment of Psalm 69 when David said, I am hated without cause. Judas hated Jesus without cause. The Jews hated Jesus without cause. As the anointed leader of Israel, David is betrayed and persecuted, hated, lied about. And Peter says, look, this was a prophetic picture of Jesus who would be hated. David cries to God for deliverance in verse 29 of that psalm. Or, um, of Psalm 109, he says, may their camp be desolate let no one dwell in their tents. Forgive me that Psalm 69. So later in the Psalm, David says, may their camp be desolate. God is, David is praying to God about the people who hate him and who betray him. And David is praying, God, let their camp be desolate and let no one dwell anymore in their tents. And again, Peter says, this is a prophecy of the land that was bought with Judas's money. It's desolate. Everyone knows it's a field of blood. Let no one dwell there. That, that word is fulfilled in Judas's life. And then, Peter begins to look to Psalm 109. In verse 8, it says, again, this is David, talking about his persecutors. David says, may his days be few, and may another take his office. May his days be few. So Peter is saying, prophetically, when Judas takes his life, his days were few. And what David said was that another must take his office. So Peter is saying, all of this has been fulfilled prophetically, but we haven't yet filled his office. There's one piece left to the prophetic picture of Jesus' betrayer, and the last piece is his office must be filled. Now we learn a lot about the church from this early passage. When it came to decision making, the apostles led. How did they lead the church? They led in prayer. They led by looking to the word. And then Peter will pray again. Church leadership, church government, the the people who lead our congregation should be people of prayer and people of the word. And ultimately, the under-shepherds are looking to the shepherd who has spoken to us through his inspired word who leads us in prayer. The under-shepherds must be people who look to the shepherd. And as they look to the shepherd for leadership and guidance, the congregation, the, the Sanhedrin, if you will, the gathering of saints... Submit to and follow the leading of the apostles. The early church had order and unity. Our pastors used to say that um, we're Americans, so we believe in our individual rights. We're Protestants. Man, we've been protesting from day one. And many of us are Southerners, and that's real bad. That's a real bad trio. So no one tells you what to do or how to do it But in the church, we are not called to be our own gods. You make an awful God. I don't know if you know that. Be God of your life. You are awful at it. (laughs) Independence is beautifully, politically speaking, it will ruin you spiritually speaking. In prayer, the church looked to their leadership who found their authority in prayer from the Word of God and the church submitted and gathered around that leadership. Let's live in unity as we look in prayer and in the Word for our vision and our purpose. Be sure that you don't have a rebellious heart that always knows better, that always knows more, who could do it better. Judas lived self-centered. He was concerned with his own well-being. He was concerned with his own platform. The disciples and Peter and the 120 are concerned with one thing, the glory of Christ Jesus. That the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the water covers the seas. Be sure that you are not living selfish as your own God, with your own agenda. Make sure that you're living with one purpose, that Jesus be glorified today and tomorrow and in generations to come. Finally, consider Matthias. What do we learn from his life? Peter said that the man chosen must have witnessed Jesus' entire ministry. We actually learn here a distinction, a biblical distinction, concerning the role of the 12 apostles, the original 12 apostles and who at other times will be called apostles in the New Testament. And so there's a distinction there. It's a very biblical distinction. I believe in in apostolic leadership today. I believe there are people today who function in apostolic offices, who lead the church to fulfill her mission, who help plant churches, who help release missionaries, who help with government and those things. I believe in apostolic functions. But I do not believe there is a man alive today who carries the authority that those 12 apostles carried. There's a clear distinction there biblically. You need to make sure you have it right. Otherwise, you allow a man who puts apostle in front of his name to govern all of your life. I don't believe it for a moment. I'm going to make that clear to you. Although I believe in apostolic functions and people who are called to apostolic roles today, there's a distinction between the twelve. The twelve, Peter said that the one to fulfill Judas' position must be someone who was with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. The one to fulfill the empty role in the 12 must be a witness, an eyewitness to the entire account. And because he is an eyewitness who has known Jesus personally, heard the teaching, saw the ministry, he will carry a unique authority. There's a distinction, a clear biblical distinction between those 12 men and those who will come later in Ephesians 4, for instance, who are called apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Peter said he must have seen the baptism John's baptism and he must have seen the ascension so there were two men put forward They prayed The apostles prayed, "God, you see what's in our hearts. You see the deepest places of our character." I think they're I think they're reflecting upon the anointing of David. Remember where God says to Samuel, um, Man looks at outer appearance, but I look at the heart. I think they've learned that lesson. So they're not just looking for a man with great gifts. They're not looking for a man who's a great teacher or performed great miracles. They pray, God, you know what's in our hearts. Choose the leader whose heart is fully submitted to you. Choose the leader whose heart you're pleased with. Don't look for leadership, church. Don't look for leadership who's the most gifted don't look for leadership who, who carries great charisma. Don't be duped by adrenaline. Adrenaline is not anointing. There's a difference there. Make sure that you love and savor the anointing of God on a man or a woman's life. Don't just look for the most humorous person or the, even the most intellectual, the smartest person in the room is not the most spiritual person in the room. There's a great difference between a heart that's fully submitted to God and a head that's filled with information. The church needs to look for anointing. And so they say, to, they say to God, You know hearts. You choose today as they pray. They cast lots. Most likely the method of lots here that they used, um, scholars say is they would have picked stones and put stones in a jar. And this is the way that they would sometimes do lots. And they would shake the jar. And the first stone to come out of the jar to fall out, that would be the lot chosen. Now that seems kind of strange to us, but it's really common in the Old Testament. And the apostles clearly believed that God could speak to them through this way. However, it is fascinating, it really is fascinating to note that after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles never again drew lots. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles never again looked to this method for the leadership of God. Why? Because they had the Spirit Himself. And He spoke to them through dreams. He led them in prayer God chooses Matthias. Judas leaves a hole. God chooses Matthias. God is not caught off guard by the deception of Judas. God is omniscient. He sees beginning to the end. He's known all along that Judas would be the betrayer. Although Judas abandons his post and loses his ministry, God has already called, put his hand on, chosen a man to stand in the gap. Matthias will fulfill the role that Judas was called to fulfill. God's kingdom, his glory, his purposes cannot be averted by the failure of any man. God is not relying on men. So Matthias' name means gift of God. Matthias's name means God's gift, God's grace. Judas's sin and his failure left a hole. God brought his gift, his grace to carry the ministry on. So I'm saying to you on one hand, don't leave your post empty.